1: Hello and welcome to Forever Thirty Five, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer, and I am Dori Shafrier. and we are not experts.
2: No, we're not, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Mm.
1: <laughs> well, sorry, I didn't Kate, mean to wow, make that so I weird. Love that
2: sigh. <laughs> oh,
1: it was so like pornographic. it was like
2: graphic. Well, it was like from. From, like, your diaphragm. Do you know what I mean? I like, was,
1: <laughs> I was literally like thinking about what serums I put on my face and it just came <laughs> out. Why? <gasps> oh oh my my God. God. Why did that happen? That's amazing. Last night I got into bed at eight o'clock and I uh, put on some pixie eye uh, patch thingies yes. and I did one of my little LED light masks.
0: Yes.
1: And I journaled and read my book and looked at my phone and it was great.
2: Oh, that is beautiful.
1: Meanwhile, I my also, husband was watching a documentary about nuclear war. And I was like, you know what? No, this is not what I'm doing tonight. No, that's not the energy He's I'm like, going to Does going anyone for? want to watch this documentary about <laughs> like nuclear power in the forties? And I was like, What? Oh my God. No.
2: Kate, I am happy to report that I also um have been getting in bed earlier.
1: Well, this was like an intention you had set for yourself a few weeks yes. ago in our intention zone.
2: Yes. Um I've not always been falling asleep earlier, but I do feel like I have been like relaxing earlier. And like last night I did fall asleep earlier. So, you know, it might
1: be working slowly I think that's but great. surely.
2: Baby steps,
1: baby steps. Baby baby steps. You know, you do the best you can.
2: That is so true.
1: In I got all things. Mad, in
2: all things. In all we things. do the best we
1: can. <laughs> I got very annoyed because I have this, I use this app on called Opal to block um very distracting apps for myself, including Instagram and Facebook and um a couple other spots. And last night I like really wanted to go down a rabbit hole and, uh-huh. and the app like was too effective. And I like couldn't, it, it kind of will uh-huh. let you like, it'll let you pause the block for a little bit. So sometimes uh-huh. I'll do that. Uh-huh. And I couldn't, for whatever reason it was not working. It was not letting me pause the block. And I was like, Oh my God. You are jonesing. I was, I was like, I need my fix. I need to rabbit hole this thing. And I couldn't. So I finally wow. like, gave up and read a book. Wow
2: that is uh, yeah, I mean, that's what
1: happens. <laughs> it is it is like, I know this is the reason not to have a phone in the bedroom and like I've talked about this for a hundred years. I, I still can't break that habit, but I do feel like I'm a little better about distracting myself with like scrolling at night, but mm. it can be, I and I, I was like talking to myself where I was like, you don't You don't want to be doing this. Like, and if it's really important to you, you'll remember the thing in the morning and look at, like, I was really, like, I had two voices. There was an angel and a devil on my shoulder. Okay. Because, like, your rational mind can sometimes break through and be like, hey, you know what? Like, you hate when you scroll all night long. Totally.
2: Yes, of course. Of course.
1: But then the, you know, addicted side of the phone yes, part it, was like, come on, clickety-click. Clickety-click. Don't you want to click on one person's name and then fi- like Google them for an hour and then find something else random and Google that for an hour? So, oh, my God. Yeah. You get it. You know how your your brain does that. <sighs>
2: Kate, okay, I do get it. I do get it. Hmm. Any hoots. Any hoots.
1: Should we hop on over to our guest today?
2: Let's do that because we, uh, we had a really great conversation with her.
1: With, I would say, like an icon of the podcast's pop culture space. There's really no other way to describe this person.
2: It's true. Yeah, it's true.
1: One of like the coolest, smartest, most thoughtful Mm -hmm. people speaking Mm -hmm. on pop culture today, Mm -hmm. our guest is the one and only Beth Aaron Five, aka Kate (laughs) Kennedy, host of the podcast Be There in Five. Mm -hmm. Kate is amazing. If you have never heard her podcast, number one, go tune in right now. It's it's fantastic. Um, Let me just we can give you her her spiel bio. Kate is a Chicago-based entrepreneur, author, podcast host, and pop culture commentator. After spending almost seven years in corporate marketing and advertising, her life changed one day when she decided to put turn off your curling iron on her doormat so she wouldn't burn her apartment down. She then started selling those and named the business Be There in Five after her favorite thing to text when running back inside to see if her curling iron was off. She then wrote a children's book called Twinkle, Twinkle, Social Media Star. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She started doing pop culture commentary Mm -hmm. that led to her amazing podcast, Be There in Five, which is all about pop culture, influencer culture. It charts weekly in its category. It is dedicated to finding the stories and experiences that lie within easily trivialized elements of the zeitgeist. Mm. Which is also what she does so so well in her new book, One in a Millennial, which is an exploration exploration of pop culture, nostalgia, the millennial zeitgeist, and the life lessons learned for better and for worse from coming of age as a member of the much maligned generation. Um, Kate is like, I don't know, a wizard, a genius. She's so smart. She's so funny so inquisitive and thoughtful in the way she approaches all these topics. And we had a great conversation with her. It was a thrill to get to talk to her again. So we're just going to bring you our chat with Kate. Before we do, though, Dory, I I do want to remind folks that you can find everything we talk about on our website, which is forever35podcast.com. You can also check out Instagram at forever35podcast to hear more from us. We are busy on Patreon at patreon.com slash forever35. There you can hear exclusive weekly casual chats between Dory and me. You can hear our weekly season one recap of The O.C., which is a freaking insane show. It
2: is insane.
1: You basically hear me have meltdowns about I this do. show.
2: And yeah, I mean, I, I, I won't say too much about it, but I'm like, is this how... All TV is, and I just don't,
1: like, realize it. And in, like, 20 years, we're going to be watching, like, The Bear on our our recap, like, space podcast and be like, what? Totally. Anyway. (laughs) And... Anyway, and we we also uh, do product recall once a month over for our Patreon subscribers, which is where we deep dive into iconic products or brands. And uh, we just did Clinique, which was so, so fun and resulted in some people being like, I think I want to try Clinique again. I know. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, me too. Totally. <laughs> me too. Um, you can also shop our favorite products at shopmy.us slash forever35. Our newsletter is forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. Most importantly, if you want to reach us, which we hope you do, you can leave us a voicemail or a text at 781-591-0390. You can always email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to that spiel. And now without further ado, here is our wonderful guest, Kate Kennedy. Kate, hi. Welcome to Forever 35. Welcome back. You are um, a repeat guest.
0: I'm so honored. But be there in Forever 35. We collabed both on each other's podcasts a few years ago, and it's nice to see you again. Yeah, you know, virtually. Likewise.
1: And so much has transpired. You've written a book, which is a real frickin' feat. So congratulations. It's really hard. And you did it, and you did it well.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, it is a lot harder than I would have ever imagined and Mm -hmm. it's just the fun part is getting to talk about it with people the Mm -hmm. hard part is being utterly consumed by it and not really being able to share it yet because the nature of podcasting you know is the second I have a thought I get to air it to the world but I wrote a lot of these things like two years ago so it's fun
2: I just always I always think about Heidi Montag's tweet congratulations to anyone who has written a book She's not wrong. It's
1: because because she's not,
2: she's not (laughs) wrong. Like really. Thank you, Heidi.
1: (laughs) Thank you. We all appreciate it. Well, yeah, we are. um, I think we're very excited to kind of dig into a lot of what you have written about and shared. Um, We always, you know, start every episode asking about a self-care practice and, I kind of, I guess I would love to know like maybe how self-care in your mind has changed over the course of the last few years. I mean, I know like obviously we always like, how is it different now that you've become a parent? But I don't know if that's really what I'm asking. I guess I'm asking like in the same way that you kind of talk about your personal evolution in your book, mm-hmm. do you feel like your relationship to taking care of yourself has evolved and what does that look like right now?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I think that huh, I think that what I do like about becoming a mom is that it it really drives home the luxury of of being selective with your time, mm. with what you say yes to. It's just it gives me a bit more of a reason to turn things down that I might not have before because I just simply had the time, but I'm kind of enjoying the forced prioritization. Um And as far as self-care, I, I, I think all the time about that God awful phrase people use so often with women, with mothers about letting yourself go, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of turning it on its head and being like the best part about motherhood is like, letting myself fucking go out with wet hair and not caring. Like I just, I have bigger fish to fry. And I don't mean that in a way of like, I can't, you know, I can't take a shower. This is so awful. It's like, no, I'm choosing not to spend a lot of time blow drying my hair. Cause like, I just don't really care about that at this juncture, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like letting myself go in a, in a positive sense where I think that I, I, if I let myself be overwhelmed by my personal maintenance, appearance wise, it overwhelms me, but I've just gone easier on myself in this era of my life. And it's been kind of nice, just not worrying about a lot of that stuff. So I guess for me, currently, self care is more about just being mindful of what I spend my time doing. And who it's there's serving, a nice, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, and there's like a nice release of control that I feel like so often when People talk about, you know, this whole, like, she, she let herself go. It's like she let go of control, which Mm -hmm. is, uh, which can be very terrifying and also very freeing. So, and, and such a positive thing for a lot of us.
2: I feel like such a dominant theme in your book is how much you worried about kind of what other people thought about you Mm -hmm. and letting some of
0: that go is very freeing. Incredibly freeing. Yeah. I've, it's, uh, it's like hard to explain because everyone tells you your life's going to change um so much when you become a mom. And like it has, it has, but I still feel like myself, but I feel less uh, consumed with stuff like that in a- the best way possible. Totally. Like I just, yes. like, yes, I'm busy. And there's a lot of ways I could, you know, glamorize that turmoil for like, the misery of motherhood, but I actually would say it's been a positive for me to have other things to focus on, mm-hmm. especially in a career like this, where you have to, you're almost forced to think about your own image a little too much. So yeah, if I could add a chapter to the book, it would be the weirdness of having this personal evolution and how the cho- career I chose kind of forces me back into staring in a mirror. <laughs> mm. um, but I'm not ready to write that chapter. Yeah, I was gonna yet. say maybe
2: <laughs> right, you're still living the chapter. Yeah, that's for yes, the next book. Yeah. You're taking yeah. notes for the next book.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Can I, can I kind of ask about um, the lifelong experience of being like going to great lengths to fit in and to assimilate and how you started to unravel that conditioning for yourself. This is something I, I've actually recently been thinking about just for me. And so it was especially poignant to kind of read your, like learn about you more in this detail. Obviously, I, you've talked, touched on this in your podcast, but to really dig into it with your book was really moving for me. And I would love to just kind of hear about your experience, kind of like unlearning that or pulling or what it was like to start pulling that thread and then feel it all just kind of go.
0: I think where. I started to pull the thread was in it was kind of in 2021, around the same time the word was taking off and mm. um, really thinking about basic and the way we self-deprecate, talk about ourselves and others and um, and being a person with a platform at the time, really wanting to like rethink how I talked about past versions of myself because I would hear from so many women who wanted to like kind of excavate their millennial memories but the common thread was like shame embarrassment self-dismissal um and I kind of when you know I had started writing these essays but I didn't like really know what they were for and then when I had this opportunity to write a book I was kind of like you know you people write books who are like exceptional, who are unique, who do great things, who are these people that you know kind of operate in this cheer, this tier of, of being so unique. But like, what about the normals? Like, what about those of us whose personality is marked by chasing, moving targets of trends and beauty standards, and who kind of were a bit worn down by the conditioning and programming of needing to be likable and malleable. I think there's a lot of shame around having that lack of distinction as a person and therefore dismissal of your entire existence as if it's not something worth celebrating. So I kind of wanted to take this opportunity. You know, I can't obviously represent 52 million people in my generation and I'm absolutely not everybody, but I feel like my existence is more, you know, marked by following trends, by being average, by being super basic, but it doesn't mean that those stories aren't worth telling. And I kind of feel like there's something so insidious about, those sorts of insults that make you really—I don't know—want to be smaller. And I just thought, well, what if I verbally manspread the minutia of a millennial <laughs> existence about the experiences of being a girl and being a millennial? Two things that are hard to be proud of sometimes. Um, and just yeah, let it put it all out there.
2: What? So I, you know, I wrote a memoir, and one of the things that I found so disorienting about writing a memoir was having to relive and kind of excavate all of these experiences from my past. And like, that sounds so obvious. Like, of course, that's what a memoir is. But I don't think I had like fully wrapped my head around what that would be like for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I'm wondering if like you had a similar experience and like just what, what the experience of writing this and kind of having like revisiting all of these things that like, you know, weren't always great you know some of them were were painful um what
0: that was like for you yeah it's interesting because i went into writing this being so dead set like i don't want it to be classified as a memoir because they were kind of written as disjointed like thematic essays but the way they're set up like it very much yeah reads as and will inevitably be categorized as one um and the way it, it was what Instead of picking the most like vital, obvious, milestone-esque or traumatic things in my life, I very purposefully picked things that were like deep lessons found in the most like innocuous or surface level of places. So while there are deep, deeper themes that are very personal, I also kind of kept it high level enough because I wanted other people's to, to, memories to spark and experiences to be like felt through it. Totally. So, I think that I was able to achieve some separation where I didn't have to dig too, too deep. But because, to your point, like at a at a point, the person, the personal pathologizing, the like mining your life for copy, is like exhausting and it's hard on your mental health. And totally, um, it, it. I don't know. Writing a book's a mindfuck of just like is this important? Like, do does anyone want to read this? Is this stupid? Like, it's so weird to be putting something out into the world when like five people have read it. And you just, yeah. I think that that's the process that it's like, the deeper you get into your own life, the more deeply uninteresting you find yourself, <laughs> I think is what I was running into. So it was a process of like, okay, let's not do that. Let's make sh- like the angle is you know where did you learn lessons that people would never like the places that would rot your brain the am tv movies music whatever like i kind of got to make it more thematic than memoir and i think that helped me because yes i did have that problem too (laughs) (laughs) it's real (laughs) so we're just going to take a short break
2: and we will be right back
1: get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. You know, one thing I think is really kind of interesting about skin, my skin, but all skin, is that like, What it needs now in my 40s is not what I needed in my 30s. Totally. Definitely not what I needed in my 20s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like, how are you supposed to know what your skin needs? It's hard. It's hard to know. Especially when there's just like so many products out there. The overwhelm is real. It's a struggle to even know how to get the results you want, what products to start with. This is why we're super excited to partner with Apostrophe. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science backed medications that are clinically proven to help. I have used Apostrophe. I love it. They will pair you with a board certified dermatologist who literally creates a personalized treatment plan for your skin. I have done this a few times now. It is so easy to do their online consultation, you upload photos. And like within a few weeks, I had done a consultation and received my treatment plan and my product. Amazing! And that is how I became a tretinoin gal. I love the tretinoin that they sent me. I love their sunscreen. Both products have been amazing on my skin. And you, Forever 35 listeners, can get a special deal from Apostrophe. You can get your first visit for only $5 that's at apostrophe.com slash forever35 when you use our code forever35. Now that is a savings of $15. I like that. This code is only available to Forever 35 listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash forever35 and click get started and then use our code forever35 at sign up and you will get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. I like almost fell out of my chair reading your essay on popular girl handwriting because you put into words something like just a feeling I've carried since I was seven that I've never talked about with anybody, but is such a signifier to me. Like it represented like the ultimate in femininity when I was a kid of just like having this very specific handwriting or being able to write in bubble letters. That was another big <laughs> one. But it's such a signifier of, like, the narrow... Like, the narrowness of, like, what was acceptable and cool of, like, uh, girl culture.
0: And totally.
1: I, it, it, like, honestly... I've never had this experience of reading something where I was like, "Oh my god!" This memory just came rushing back to me in such a distinct way, I love and it made that. me think of my own kids. You know, I have a 13 year old and a 10 year old, and there's been a lot of talk of like girl culture and mm-hmm. the current dialogue about Stanley Cups and, <laughs> and just kind of the cycle of what are signifiers of what is cool, but then also like shitting all over girl culture in a way. I don't, it just, it to yeah, me, it was yeah. like, it, that feels, I was very depressed to kind of think about how cyclical mm. uh, the conversations around girl culture are. And I think you, you point that out kind of throughout the book.
0: Yeah. I was just doing an episode last week on teens and Sephora, which I'm sure is mm, something you topic. guys talk about a lot. And um, it just, they, these things shape shift. I mean, it's not all that different from, uh, us being obsessed with anti acne and drying the shit out of our skin with astringents. I mean like we every genera- generation kind of has their own version of this. And while anti-aging is tough for younger segments and I think the positioning, you know, and obviously use of active chemicals, you know, should proceed with caution. I don't know. It girls like to explore and have fun and I think it's very natural to Participate in anticipatory things about the life phase you're about to enter into that you don't have access to, and mm. it's like a form of R and D about the teenage mm. world. And I, I think it just—it's all in you know, how you talk about it. Into your point, I, the shaming, the immediate instinct to shame—I think—is something that I hope as millennial women, like we catch ourselves doing, because we know how it feels. Or really, any woman from any generation knows how it feels to be both policed for and held to these impossible standards is really unfair. And um, the fact that young girls even are already feeling that pressure to maintain their appearance in that way is kind of the sad thing. But also the thing that I don't always think is fair to hold against people because it's a bigger system that we can't take down with a Stanley Cup or a Drunk Elephant product. It was interesting
1: it, Kate, like especially, you, there's a mention toward the end of the book, kind of where you're talking about um, gender bias when it comes to pop culture interest. And I had like a personal chuckle because you mentioned fish, and I'm a person who has seen like almost 100 fish shows. You're one but of those. I, I am, <laughs> I <like> but <laughs> as a but as a woman, I'm especially when I was younger, I was more of an anomaly, and and like there was a lot of having to prove yourself, which I think you talk mm-hmm. about, like prove your fanness, prove your devotion. And I find that very like still very pervasive.
0: Oh, totally. It's like if the stuff that is more feminine coded is invalidated. And then when females participate in male dominated spaces, you have to prove your fandom, like the name five songs of it all. And it's like, it's such a weird lose lose, but the common thread is the positioning of male authority when it comes to taste. And even though that's like kind of an, I didn't know if that was worth writing about. Like at the time I was trying, the early versions of that chapter had a lot more like historical analysis and research. And my editor was kind of like, I don't know if you need to like prove or tease out historically that men tend to think they have authority over taste. Like, I think that's a pretty well understood and universal feeling. And I was like, that's so true. Like it's, and it's one of those things where a lot of interviews I've been doing, they're like, well, don't you think that this is, it's way more prevalent in culture today to celebrate women's interests. And it's like, well, yeah, we had the summer of Barbie, Taylor Swift and Beyonce. Mm-hmm. But having those cultural conversations in in headlines and on Instagram is so different than conversations behind closed doors. And I guarantee you all across America, people are still make, being made fun of for liking Taylor Swift and going to you know more than one era's tour or whatever Barbie movie like. Just because we perform acceptance doesn't mean that that acceptance translates into our everyday dialogue. And I know for me, I'm constantly still defending my job and my interests and things to uncles and, you know, whatever I come into contact with. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um having those conversations that are pretty common now, but like thinking through if they're actually people are implementing that in their everyday life. And it's interesting to hear about you being in a male dominated space and experiencing that. Cause I think that makes it just as tough to enjoy sometimes.
1: Yes, I it's been, I mean, not all, not all the time and not all people are like this, but there is a little, I think there is always this assumption that any woman who is interested in a male dominated hobby doesn't isn't truly interested. Doesn't really know what they're talking about. Is only there for some other reason. And right. I mean, this is this has been like also like a point of like annoyed pride for me my whole life, which is you know <laughs> another thing to dissect later. But yeah, it is. It is. You kind of you're right. It's a lose lose. You can't really win either way.
0: It's like I'm not doing a bit. Even like being labeled as a not like other girls thing to do with That that's so misogynistic. Right. It's like, right. You're acting like my interests are just a function of. Rejecting the common male gaze, <laughs> like I it's just, it's I don't know, it's crazy. But I, yeah, I feel like that's one thing that reading it back, I was like, I wish I made it more clear. Like, I love it if you like sports or fish or any of these things. Um, the point is, all leisure's valid.
2: Kate, you talk about this yes. in your book.
0: Oh, and... not wrong, Kate. Sorry. Oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. Kate. This is a, other Kate. Kate, yes, Kate. Kate, Kate, Um. But I want to talk about American girl dolls. Yes. Yeah. Because I like just missed them. And so I I looked this up and I guess the first they, they were first released in May 1986, which, you know, I'm 46, so that was the end of my third grade year. And then I didn't live in the United States the, in my fourth grade year. So like and then I was in fifth grade. And then I feel like I was a little too old and they hadn't like fully permeated maybe yet, or they Mm -hmm. were starting to. And so I just like, I kind of miss them. Like I was, I think I was like two years too old because Kate Spencer, who was two years younger than me, says she was into them. But I would like you, and again, I know you talk about this in your book, but can we just discuss like the hold that the American girl dolls still have on millennial women? Like, I feel like it is, (laughs) they are such a touchstone and if you reference them in a in a cohort of women born between, let's say, you know, Kate was born in 79, so like 79 to and you know, obviously girls are still into them today, but like seventy-nine to nineteen ninety-two or whatever, there's there's this shared experience of them that is really fascinating to me as someone who did not was not participating in that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it was like my first taste of aspirational consumerism. Mm -hmm. And um, I think was this form of catalog culture Mm
1: -hmm. where
0: it was uh, it's a genius business model, because I mean, as early as like five years old, I think I say in the book, I was, you know, flipping through and critiquing like I was Miranda Priestley Like I just was I had such hot takes about antique furniture. And it's like, why was I so into this? And it, it but it was different. Like, yes, there were Barbies and like the Disney universe and the other things I participated in, but like the dolls were beautiful. They were inaccessible. And the catalog coming to my home that I could shop through is just, it was a different experience than other brands were providing. And I try to give credit to, you know, Pleasant Roland for all the brand shortcomings. It's like, well, it is cool that a gal playing with a, you know, Malibu Barbie and a Jeep Wrangler was also interested in like hand tufting a, cloth with a muslin border. (laughs) Like, I mean, Kirsten came with a wooden spoon and I was like, hot damn, this is a hot accessory. (laughs) And I think that's crazy that I was like as girly and shallow as I was, but like loved these historical figures. And I think that's really empowering when you think about a baby doll and what that represents for women's limitations. And then her excavating, you know, women who were left out of a lot of, you know, the day-to-day history um, that we learned about it. it, it it's a, it's an interesting brand. But yeah, just speaking to the consumerism piece, like it just, it was all so expensive. And in my middle class suburb, like most people had one doll as a gift, probably if they were lucky, but then yeah. there, you just dreamed of having the whole set. It just... Yeah, mm, it was, and all the really, accessories really,
2: and like all the all the yes. things. Yeah, it was like a multiverse kind of. It, yes, I remember when my sister got one. Like you said, it was a big deal. Like it was, they were expensive. Then getting all the other stuff was like very expensive, and yeah aspirational consumerism for children you you really i think hit the nail on the head
0: there (laughs) and like it's not like it was cardboard mini crappy doll furniture i mean like felicity's like mahogany chest with brass hardware and her canopy (laughs) i do love a canopy bed steamer
1: trunk oh my god
0: (gasps) it's like might as well be a louis they were gorgeous pieces
1: There was also for me, um, I had never heard of them. And then my neighbors up the street who were my like best friends each had one. And that was my introduction. And I was like, I've got to get, you know, my mom had had no, like we had no idea. Yeah. But it was in the catalog specifically for me, it was the matching outfits and the cosplay Mm. and the like, the fact that you can kind of do this historical cosplay, like it's a little bit of like fantasizing about, you know, we used to read like, like watching Little House on the Prairie, obviously. Yep. Yeah. Early cottagecore. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, at the time there was this weird like fetish, fetishization of histor- history and, oh, just what those like the girl models in their nightgowns holding their dolls in the matching nightgowns.
0: Oh, totally.
1: Oh, I wanted no, to. And I never, I never got the clothes that was just so exclusive.
0: It, I, I, it's, it kind of brings up like, I don't know if this exists today, but like There was a vibe in the 80s, 90s of, like, reading books and being interested in stories of, like, tweenage suffering in the form of, like, American Girl Dolls or, um, like, Dear America books or even, like, Loving the Secret Garden or A Little Princess or, like, I just... I think in the book, I talk about how I had a fascination with people that like died of waterborne illnesses. Like, why were we playing Oregon Trail so much? Oregon Trail. Yeah. There was just so much like suffering, like old timey suffering involved in the pop culture I consumed. And I can't, I I, I simply don't know why.
1: (laughs) Did either of you have a Salem witch trials phase as a kid? Is that like specific? Mm -hmm. Because I grew up in Boston. I I had I had had such a Salem witch trial phase. I was a Puritan for Halloween in fourth grade. Like I was a real f- weirdo.
2: I mean, I went, big, along those lines. I went through a big Holocaust phase. So you know, I think kids are like we forget that kids are kind of dark and goth, like
0: yes. <laughs> you <Yes>. know,
2: <laughs> and obs- well, and like fascinated and obsessed with death.
1: Also,
0: yes, they are- start to understand mortality. Yes, whatever you're learning yes. about at that time, yes. I think you kind of harp on.
1: Totally, there are these kids' books called "I Survived," and they are <laughs> fictional retelling of <laughs> historical events. <laughs> So my younger daughter is both of my kids have gone through phases of being really into them and your children presumably will find them at their school library. But like my youngest kid is still obsessed with them. And it's like, I survived the river shark attack of 1917. And then you read oh. this like fictional hist- retelling, but it's, it's provides kids with that outlet. And so it's still, it still exists today. I can speak from experience. of having to read those books at bedtime.
0: What a cornucopia of new anxieties to explore. It never ends
1: (laughs) is the truth.
0: (laughs) Uh, You know, as a kid, you can't really you don't understand probability. So you just hear something scary and then you think it's going to happen. Yes. Like I was really scared of Venus flytraps cuz of Mario. Never come across one in my life. Oh, I and quicksand. Quicksand
2: was a yeah, big I feel like too. quicksand was always mm-hmm. coming up in the 80s and 90s always. Oh, there was so I much don't know quicksand. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> or like face on the milk carton style uh, kidnapping like face, uh, obviously yes. that's a problem but like I really thought I was very scared of kidnapping.
1: I oh, mean, me too. Yeah. Yeah, and satanic, satanic panic. I mean all of that is just very
0: Good times being whimsy, wild children. <laughs> it was a real
1: weird way to grow
0: up. I mean, this also, is something I, mean, I yeah, feel like-, like.
2: There's like also like nuclear war, AIDS. Yes. Like there was just a lot of shit that we were totally. we all kind of absorbed um,
1: as as we were children. I mean, in that mm-hmm. vein, you know, you talked about how millennials are kind of like always having to prove their their worth. I mean, I, I actually kind of feel sorry for millennials in a lot of ways. Like you all kind of got and i I like try to eke my way into Gen X, even though I'm one of those like cusp people but in in talking about all these events and the and kind of where the world was when you all kind of came onto the planet like it's no wonder shit's been real hard for you for you all like do you feel like there's like a justice for millennials kind of waiting to happen a little bit? I think the conclusion I kind of come to
0: in the book is like you can kind of assign whatever value you want to a label because it's hard to combat them in their entirety. But I think it's, it's just so much misunderstanding. Like if you're going to call somebody lazy um, part of that, if you're called lazy in the workplace as a millennial is like people wanting more work-life balance and like, pushing back on being accessible after hours or when you uh, call somebody a job hopper in in an accusatory way, like a lot of people love to paint millennials as being like so disloyal and going from job to job. And it's like, okay, well, when you enter the job market in the worst economic recession since the Great Depression and you've been laid off a bunch of times and no company's ever shown loyalty to you, why would you be incentivized to show loyalty to a company? Of course, millennials are looking out for themselves in their careers. Mm. So I think for me, it's more, it's less about like, combating the naysayers improving ourselves and instead telling people within the segment to just kind of rethink reframe the way a lot of these insults um are interpreted by us because i think we're just misunderstood and we have a lot of context for our circumstances for why we are the way they are the way we are and i think being you know behind and being the first online like there's really good reasons for a lot of our behavior
1: Amen. I feel I feel ready, I don't know, like ready for millennials to have a little bit of like I don't want to say justice is the wrong word, but like validation and a lot of like I don't know. You you <laughs> piloted a lot of shit for us that now, you know, the younger generation just takes for granted. And I feel like um we actually owe you a lot for your service.
0: <laughs> well, I do appreciate that. But it is funny, like I, I I don't know any other generation's experience with their branding and every they all have their tropes, of course. Um I think millennials were just like the distinction for me was them us being more uh, such a punchline. Yeah. Uh And that era when we were accused of killing every major economic sector and industry from napkins to diamonds to like low fat yogurt, the American dream in its entirety. Um, And it was a, it was a weird era that the media kind of got past in the mid to late 2010s. But then come 2020 with TikTok, we were the punchline again with younger people. And we just kind of got wedged in between these, Two segments of ridicule. And meanwhile, I don't think anybody is trying to be annoying. We're just kind of like a easily lost generation of people that grew up in a world that no longer exists.
1: Yeah. I but mean, so it's, did it's, you
0: guys largely too. I mean, coming of age is kind of a broad term, but like, I do think it's different having an adulthood so marked by technology in a childhood that wasn't.
1: Totally, truly, it's it's a very strange turning point. I mean, I can just I can remember the first AOL c- like CD that we got and putting it in the computer. You know, it was Were like in that moment. Aim changed. as
0: I was, I
2: I didn't get email until I went to college. Okay, I think my parents got aim that year, so I went to college in nineteen ninety five. I think that was yeah, the year was that aim kind yeah. of like came out. Because I remember going home and seeing my brother and sister. My sister was like 11. And I remember seeing them on AIM and being like, what is happening?
1: So it's essentially just texting. I was on AOL. I was a very active member of the AOL chat room, uh, the fish bowl, which was the fish community in high school. (laughs) So I was on AOL. Like I was on AOL all the time.
0: I love this. You've been... You've been fan, like standing up for your fandom this whole time.
1: I love, well, I, I mean, it's a very like that is fish is a very important part of who I am and my life from high school till now. But also the being able to access the community online was like pivotal. And I think like Dory mm. to Dory's point, if I had been a little older, I probably would have missed a lot of that. Mm, and it, yeah. it was a, it was an amazing way to actually feel a part of something that I didn't wasn't able to really access in my like in real life community. Um, yeah. so yeah, shout out to the fishbowl.
0: Were you guys, of uh, like s- burning CDs? Yes. In college yes. and after. Okay. But that was, a, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if that was like behavior of, cause it was so like illegal. I'm like, were we doing this? Cause I was like a teenager or were people doing that? Cause obviously before iPods and stuff, like, you want cool CDs in your car. That's like ageless.
2: No, we were definitely burning CDs and also like CD mix mixes,
1: mix CDs. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like the cover of your book. It, it resonates very deeply.
0: Oh, good. I, w- I was hopeful that that like, even though the CD burning era wasn't that long before it, Napster and LimeWire was cracked down on, I do feel like having that, that, that energy of being the DJ in your car and or sending somebody a message with a mix CD is just something I think of fondly. And what I was going to ask you, Kate, is do you remember the phenomenon slash attribution problem with LimeWire and Napster where everybody said that Gin and Juice, there was this cover of Gin and Juice that was a oh, fish yeah. song and it wasn't?
1: It's not, there's like a jam band that does a cover yeah. of Gin and Juice. This is vaguely familiar to me.
0: But everybody I know. Loved that version? Lo- like, loved that version and therefore thought they were like fish fans. So that was like our point of entry to converse with fish heads.
1: Oh, God, that's hilarious. <laughs> but, oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, it was wow. It was a
0: no-name jam band that got coded in like the pirating world as fish. And that's the only fish song wow. on my uh that was a st- st- strange
1: <laughs> time too, because we had like a year of just like ripping music. Everybody, I would like sit in my college library ripping music off of Napster because that's where the internet was fastest.
0: Kate, yes, I ooh, think there's like an age time. range of people that have a really like detailed knowledge of music from that time because of like I'm being so immersed in it and like curating playlists in a way that w- just was a little more intentional than it is now. Cause it was, the songs were named so crazy and ripped from different places. And, or you get like the radio edit of something that was like, um I don't, I think this was popular in the Northeast, but there was like this version of Jules, like a Jules song with like 9-11 voiceovers. Oh God. That radio oh. stations would play as like a tribute. No. My God. I don't remember, Do you remember that.
1: <laughs> so dark. No. Oh,
0: so, but you know how radio stations would like, voice over things in songs or do sound yes. effects you would, all, you would I have one get of those, those weird from the versions gulf war. Yeah. yeah
1: there's a song called get here that was that i that i have this like visceral gulf war memory of where like soldiers would say hi to their family as the song played on the radio and i was explaining this to my husband he was like i've never heard this song in my life i was like yeah, you you're know, like is this is like a fever dream <laughs> yes but I, I mean it had to have existed on some local massachusetts radio station
0: Wow. yeah or some songs would have the movie quotes in it, like the Secret garden from Jerry Maguire.
1: Mm-hmm. oh I loved that yeah, when they'd have the talk the talk up of him talking,
0: yeah, yeah. anyway sorry um kate
2: kennedy i, I was <laughs> well, this well, this is something that Kate Spencer and I talk about sometimes, which is like we are kind of giving our children this sort of strange record of us. And, Mm. you know, over the course of several years, and I'm just like wondering what you think about, like, in terms of your son, listening to your podcast or discovering your book or all of those things, like, what goes through your mind when you think about that?
0: I think like keeping my kids as separate as I can from my online identity till they're a little older and recognize me as a whole person is something I'll probably try to do. Because I do think there's a major turning point where you start to understand your parents better Mm. once you're out of the house and a little removed and you just like can appreciate them more outside of that role specifically, but obviously I can't prevent that too much. But I, yeah, I have, I, re- I think about that. I think I always have, I, I almost feel grateful, even though sometimes I hate that my parents listen to and participate in things I do. Mm. I almost appreciate just having that general filter of never like taking it too far in a moment. That's not, that's disconnected from how I am normally. Totally, I'm just, Cause yeah. I'm not that extreme of a person or like that controversial. Like I'm pretty I'm a cooperative gal, as I wrote about on the book. Like <laughs> uh. there are a few things that I I would do publicly that I can't stand by. But are they embarrassing and cringy? Yeah. But that's I and my last um n- like acknowledgement it's to my, at the time, unborn child and who I tell, you know, if you're cringe, that means you're doing it right. Mm. In terms of like living your life. Mm. Um, I, I love that kind of delusional investment in who you are at a given moment while you're growing. I think it's part of it. And I think that maybe I'll create things that we're embarrassed by later, you know?
2: Yeah. I do. I love that.
0: Nothing is timeless, you know.
1: Totally. As, yeah. much as, as
0: much as every blogger wants you to think their capsule wardrobe is, nothing is timeless. We will always look back ah, and kind of laugh oh. at ourselves, and um, um, I authentic. think that's okay. You know, I this book might not age well, but you know, hopefully, the spirit of it will. You know. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. I want to talk about maternal health, and you talk you touch on your own experience with pregnancy loss and in your book. And and this might not even be a question, just more of an observation that I really, really appreciate you making a point to talk about maternal health care and access to abortion and and what this means. Just in a time where, obviously, like Roe v. Wade has been overturned, and can you talk a little bit about, I guess? Why that was important for you to include in this book? Not that's not just about your own life experience, but also about kind of the experience of millennialdom. Hmm. Yeah, there was. I wasn't
0: sure with that chapter, and like, what was the most important thing to get across? Because the bigger goal was to like stand up for anybody in any circumstance, because I think we grow up and I call it the love marriage, baby carriage pipeline, where you are just like, you really are talked to about marriage and babies. Like one, it's something, Mm -hmm. those are things you desire. And two, those are things you can control. And I think so many people are in complicated dating situations or have trouble having kids or may not want kids or like, there's so many paths you can take. And, um, our lives just like divert so much when we're all in these different phases, trying to navigate those two things. Oftentimes Mm -hmm. is where like a disconnect can happen. And I just like wanted everyone to feel like validated in like their circumstances being a function of their desire and lack of control in ways nobody gives us that like agency for almost acting like if we're single, it's like, Oh, still single. Or if you know, the way we talk to people about marriage and babies, like is one piece of it. But then I think that, um, you know, to go along with the theme of the book, in terms of all of these things that I f- that were felt marked by a level of invisibility throughout my life, or I had to shrink. I think it's like there's something so alarming about writing this book during the time Roe v. Wade was overturned, and feeling like that same invisibility is just still so present on the mm. floor of Congress, in medical yeah. settings. Like there 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 were current invisibilities that I wanted to speak about from a personal standpoint too, because. I think the book is like kind of I didn't want to go off on a political rant, rather kind of make a humanitarian argument when I had people's ears for like this is so much bigger than the, you know, the lightning rod issue it's presented as. And if you want, I really think it's powerful to understand it in the context of miscarriages, not that it should we, we should need a reason for any of it. It should be your choice, period, the end. But I just don't think people understand what this looks like and how it further traumatizes people in the throes of grief and loss. Um, and so many women think it's an issue that doesn't affect them, but it absolutely does if one in four miscarriage like pregnancies, unfortunately, end in miscarriage. And many of those miscarriages require medical intervention. And that intervention is identical to the procedures for elective abortions. I don't even know if that's the correct term to be using right now, but... These conversations are tricky, but I just, you know, I know so many women that have suffered from pregnancy loss and it incenses me um, to think of people enduring being in that state and also having this nonsensical intervention from legislation that prevents them from life saving care. And I just thought maybe it would be an opportunity to provide a different perspective in case anybody thought the issue was not something they should concern themselves with
1: no notes. Amen to that, Kate. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? I I think sometimes
0: when people aren't attracted to polarizing arguments, the middle needs to be like, I I just wanted to clarify, like being pro-choice is not extremist. It is not an extremist position. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Kate,
2: can we talk about what you are obsessed with right now in pop culture?
0: Oh, um, What am I obsessed with right now in pop culture? There's this video of Jacob Elordi picking up his (laughs) co-stars to go coffee. Have you seen that?
1: No. No. (laughs) Oh my God, this is so specific. I love it so much. Okay.
0: (laughs) So I was like the past few months, I feel like there's two videos I keep rewatching. One is David and Victoria Beckham doing like the electric slide dance to Islands in the Stream. Um, And one is jacob Alordi and what's the guy's name in saltburn his co-star
1: um barry i don't know how to say his last name Cugan. kagan yeah, kagan yeah. and
0: he and he's really small and jacob Alordi's like six five and there's just this video and jacob Alordi's like so crunched for they're on director's chairs and barry's feet don't touch the floor and jacob's are like crunched to the floor <laughs> and the small co-star wants his coffee and Jacob's taller and can reach it. And he reaches it for him, gives it to him, like kind of pats him on the knee. And it's just like this charming exchange of male camaraderie that you just don't see often. And mm. I find it charming. So I, I watched that video a lot lately and, and I loved the Beckham documentary. So I was recently kind of obsessed with that. Otherwise, Oh, welcome to Plathville on T- TLC. It's my newest uh, show binge that I love because I love re- religious deconstruction. <laughs>
1: Ooh, ooh, which you get into in your book, which I thought was fascinating.
0: It's like my true crime. I don't love crime crime, but I think um, it's the like insidious nature of people doing terrible things in the context of something that looks good is really interesting. And I think extremist religion is fascinating in that sense of how it's so hard to criticize because it all looks so well-meaning. But mm. you can abuse power there almost better than anywhere because you hang salvation over people's heads and it's like
1: unprovable. Yeah. That being said, I went through a big Christian rock phase where I really enjoyed Christian rock music.
0: Oh my God, Reliant K, Jars of Clay. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you
1: mentioned them. I mean, you talk about them in your book and I was like, yeah, in my early 20s, I was unironically into Christian rock.
0: Well, I think that I was a little nervous to, to do that chapter. I knew it wouldn't be relatable to everybody, but I was trying to find pockets of things that are still kind of relevant in terms of think of like where Christian nationalism is. I mean, Mm. this kind of culture is alive and well. And I wanted people to kind of understand my experience through it, but also to realize that like what's distinct about millennials is a lot of these principles trickled into secular spaces through Mm. abstinence, only sex ed through dress codes. I mean, purity culture was pervasive in ways that don't necessarily involve you being directly involved with the church. Um, that, and I think WWJD culture and like sneaky evangelizing through ropes courses and cheese pizza and laser tag lock-ins is like something that was just so common in my
1: experience in the 90s. Yeah. Kate, before we let you depart, do you have any skincare faves or products that you want to share with yes. our friends, the listeners of this show?
0: Okay. I was right as I got on the phone with you, I was like, oh, wait, they're going to ask me for my latest (laughs) product obsession, and I'm going to need to know the name of it.
1: could be nothing. You might not be using any products, which is a valid and wonderful answer also.
0: Okay, I don't... It's possible I'm late to this, and this could be literally burning off my skin. I don't know. I I cannot speak to um, the quality or the ingredients, but I can tell you my experience has been wildly positive with something. It is called Cure natural aqua gel and it's have you heard of this it's an exfoliating face yeah. wash that you only put on dry skin what
1: i've never <laughs> okay. heard of this
0: it's a it's a japanese alternative to a korean chemical exfoliant and you put it on completely dry skin and you rub and your and your skin just like comes chunks off of it come it, off chunks of it, it it almost but it's not peeling it it's not like baby feet but like the way it is so satisfying and how much dead skin it pulls off your dry skin is crazy to me. And yeah, it's this Japanese face wash that I got at a favorite things gift exchange. And I am so obsessed with it. It's $39 on Amazon. It's Toyo, T-O-Y-O, Cure Aqua Gel, gentle exfoliator. And it's outstanding.
1: Hmm. You know, I think I love that I continue to be awakened to new products. Totally. I feel like you would think after doing this show for so long, I'd be like, been there, done that. No, this is brand new to me. And I'm, I love it. Thank you for this.
0: Well, oh, that's what I love about favorite things exchanges over white elephant culture is like, I loved, like we hear a lot about influencer holy grails, but we should be talking, making it a point to hear about the holy grails of the everyday people in our lives.
1: Oh, a thousand percent. Yes. Yes. I, I also feel like Holy Grail, like internet, Holy Grail, influencer, Holy Grail, Grail culture. Like it's not, It. it, it it's like Pat, it's jump the shark, right? Like it's not yeah. real anymore. I don't know. I, I, I'm a bit jaded on it.
0: Oh, I, it's almost like the more people insist something's their Holy Grail online, the less likely I am to participate because I am skeptical of their intentions.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. yeah,
0: that's a random product I'd never seen in my life that somebody at this exchange swore by. Love this. That's amazing. Sure. Enough. Okay.
1: That's a great one. That makes me want to do a favorite things uh, gift exchange. That sounds like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Or even with your listeners, just like have everybody type, make their case for their one product. They don't think it's enough hype. Ooh,
1: love that. Yeah. Dory, what would be yours? Do you have one? <sighs> I feel like I hype up all of my favorite products. I know. I'm trying <laughs> to think of like, what is my thing? Okay, we'll think about this and, and we'll follow up.
0: Please. I would okay. love to hear. Kate, where can our listeners
2: find you?
0: You can find me at Kate Kennedy on Instagram, One in a Millennial, wherever books are sold. I recorded the whole audiobook myself, nine months pregnant, which was a wow. journey. Um, and I'm taking it on tour. Uh, it be there in five.com slash live hyphen shows is you can really find everything at be there in com, which is the name of my pop culture podcast.
1: Amazing. Thank you so Thank much. You, Kate.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah. It was so fun to catch this up is with you really guys. fun.
1: It was great to talk to you. I hope everybody picks up your book. It was really a fun read. Yes.
0: Thank you.
2: Okay. Uh, I do just want to like, like dig around
1: in her brain.
2: You know what I mean? Is that weird? Is that weird to say?
1: No, I was, I like after a conversation, I was just like, she's so intelligent about this stuff. Yeah. Like why I want to be this smart. I know. (laughs) know. Let me be in her. Yes. I also want to be in her brain. Right. But luckily you can be in her brain by reading her book or listening to her podcast. Totally. Both which are excellent. Totally. Both
2: of those things are options for you.
1: Get into Kate's brain. Get
2: into her brain.
1: So Dory, when we started talking at the beginning of the episode, you said you had been getting into bed yes. earlier.
2: And and so I would say I like if you probably if you like charted the average of when I have been going to sleep, I think you would probably find that I have been going to sleep a little bit earlier. Um and you know, it's like it's pretty textbook like the nights that I go out, I go to bed later. Like it's duh, but I really do. Like it's harder for me to wind down. Like when I play, when I do my tennis practices, I've been doing nighttime tennis practice on Wednesdays and I don't get home till like nine thirty. And so then it's like, if I shower and like the whole thing, it's like, I can't, I don't even get, I, I often like don't even get into bed until 1030. And that that's just like late. So, you know, kind of like acknowledging that. But then when I, when the nights when I'm home, I have been like, oh, okay, it's like nine. I'm going to get into bed. I'm not going to like, my weakness is just like sitting down at my computer and like poking around.
1: <laughs> oh, I love poking around.
2: <laughs> um, And then I like look at my, at, at the clock and it's like 1015. And I'm like, mm nope. No, you you can't poke at ten fifteen. So, so yeah. So, I think I, I think I think I'm, I'm doing a little better there. I will say,
1: it's funny you talk about going out at night because my friend is going dancing for her birthday tonight. It's a Friday that we're recording this, and I like really want to go, but I think it's like they're going at ten, which is like also kind of when I want to get into bed, and
2: I'm like, they're going at ten. I
1: I think so, and then. I am seeing Jackie Johnson's new one-woman show, "How to Get a Second Husband," on Sunday night at nine o'clock. So, I've got okay, some, like, I just want to know. Nights coming up. I just want
2: to note that I saw Jackie Johnson's show, "How to Get a Second Husband," last month, but that show started at seven thirty.
1: <laughs> well, listen.
2: You're going to the late show.
1: <laughs> I'm going to the late show. I'm just having some really big late nights for me this weekend, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited. I'm excited for you, Kate. I am too, and I'm very excited. If you are in LA, I think this this iteration. I mean, I think I don't think I don't know when Jackie's doing the show again, but like, go see it. I haven't even seen it yet, but like, I know she's been doing it like
2: roughly monthly, so. You know, yeah. if you follow her on Instagram, she announces when she's doing it. And I, I I hope she like goes on tour with it. Like it's just it's really it's really enjoyable. I've I've she's been talking phenom. like since I saw it, I've been talking about it to Kate like periodically. I'll be like, well, you, you know, on
1: Jack in Jackie Johnson's show. <laughs> and she's and Dory won't spoil it for me. So she's like, I can't spoil wait. Spoil it. You gotta go see it. Uh, Well, Dory, what is your intention for this?
2: Okay, week? Kate. week is big. Now, by the time this airs, this will have already happened. But as we're recording, it has not happened. I am taking two nights next week and going to Joshua Tree with a friend. We rented an Airbnb. Joshua Tree is
1: a beautiful desert area. Beautiful desert
2: area. Um, (laughs) Sidebar, have you heard about the Airbnb bust? (laughs)
1: Is that just like Airbnb market is bad yeah, for so like during, people so like, who have Airbnbs? Yeah. So like
2: during the pandemic, ev- like all these people bought Airbnbs in like Joshua Tree and Big Bear and like all these places where you can go from LA, like within two hours. And because like it, during the pandemic, people weren't flying anywhere. So they would like, they but they wanted to like get away and they weren't staying in hotels. So all these Airbnbs were like always booked. But now the tables have turned and... <laughs> When I say there is a glut of Airbnbs in Joshua Tree, oh boy, it is, I mean, wow, there are too many Airbnbs in Joshua Tree. But, you know, the nice thing for me is I get to book one of them pretty cheaply. Um, so anyway, so we're doing that. We're going to do it as like a mini writing retreat. Yeah, you so are. So I'm really excited yeah, about this and it's all part of my like push to get a draft of my manuscript done by the end of the month
1: which dory has been working hard on this I book i have been working hard that on she this is book and that i want to read
2: kate will read it when it's not a total stinking heap of trash when it's it can be like a small heap of trash that doesn't like really stink
1: but like i know what you mean like it's trash but it's like not the grossest yeah, trash yeah
2: exactly like you're like oh there's some like like, it's like if you were dumpster diving and instead of it just being like a dumpster full of like fully rotting food with like maggots on it, you like find some stuff that like just expired that is still edible.
1: I have had maggots in my trash can and it is not, it's not, no, pretty. it's not
2: pretty. And when your book is the equivalent of maggots in your trash can, it's also not <laughs> Terry, pretty. Stop.
1: <laughs> you know, for like a month, I was having this. Like the our car smelled so bad, and I could not. I was like, "Why does it smell like rotting yogurt in my car?" And then I opened the trunk. Weirdly, I don't know why I hadn't opened the trunk in a few weeks, and there was just a bag of like old Starbucks cups that we hadn't
2: thrown out.
1: It smelled very bad. Oh
2: yeah, it's it's always 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 satisfying to
1: find the source of the smell. (laughs) Have I ever told you how in college we had? I'm sorry. I'm on a tangent. I'm just going to go on it, and if we need to, we can cut this. We had a parents' weekend. My senior year of college, I lived off campus in a house. We had all our parents up. There were like five of us in the house, and we had made a salad. And uh, then for months there was a terrible smell in our kitchen. And in about January we discovered the bowl of the salad on top of our fridge. We had just <gasps> never, um, no, we had never cleaned it, so no. we just had like a, a bowl of rotting. Vegetables like a, <laughs> that should have been washed. No. Yes. Our house ah. smelled so bad for months. Oh
2: my god, months. Kate!
1: It was so disgusting. Ah. It was like a dry, a real dry heaving situation oh, for me. No. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm Shout sorry to laugh, to but it is kind of funny. Bates College roommates. Oh, it was so fun. It was hilarious. I mean, like I still do well, shit also, like that now as you're an like, adult.
2: Oh this is why our house has been smelling for like three well, weeks. And it
1: is kind of amazing. Like once you get rid of the thing, the smell goes the smell away goes very away.
2: fast. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Now, Kate, how is your plantar fasciitis care going?
1: I got a nice text from a listener recommending some Dr. Scholl's insoles. And I've already, another listener had recommended insoles. Basically, if you're a listener and you message us about insoles, I'm going to buy them. Um, it's going okay. I should probably go back to physical therapy. It's just been hard to find the time. Yeah. Um, but I am doing a better job of like dealing it with dealing with it myself, sleeping in the foot brace and stretching and oh, stuff. Good. So okay. slow and steady, Dory. Slow and steady. Slow and steady. This week, uh, my intention is quote, my dumb brain. Um You know I don't like that negative self talk, Kate. <laughs> My beautiful brain. Thank you. I've had a real flare up of my anxiety and my obsessive compulsive disorder that I am finally tackling, upping my meds a little bit. I talked to, I had therapy and I saw my psychiatrist yesterday. So it was a real double whammy of mental health care. But I'm just going to try to like do the tweaks that my professionals have suggested this week and see if that helps me kind of stabilize, if you will. Okay,
2: good 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 my beautiful brain beautiful, beautiful brain.
1: brain
2: all right well forever 35 is hosted and produced by me Doris shafrier and kate spencer and produced and edited by sam hudio wow
1: Houdio. Sam Houdio? <laughs> like
2: sam hudio and the blowfish produced and or, edited by sam Hudio. sorry sam uh sammy reed is our project manager and our network partner is a
0: cast thanks everybody bye bye Sam